from gang member to first responder. A story of the incredible transformation of Dr. Reynolds A. Karras, MD, EMT, on episode number 276 of the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. Devilish behavior, how we normalize doing negative things amongst each other. So once I got into school, that the same thing continued on. But one of the things that sticks out to me the most is when I used to go to school, not every single time I walked to school, but I remember there were a few occasions where you would see just like police activity, the street corner taped off by yellow tape, and it was like the fresh crime scene. Welcome to the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller, the show dedicated to helping you crush adversity and succeed in life. Brad believes you deserve a life that is fulfilling and impactful. And this show is designed to help you navigate beyond adversity and achieve your life of peace, prosperity, and purpose. Now, here's Dr. Brad. Hello, good people, and welcome to Beyond Adversity with Dr. Brad Miller. So awesome to have you here with me today on the podcast, which will help you to grow through what you go through, navigating adverse life events to achieve your life of peace, prosperity, and a purpose. Head on over to drbradmiller.com where we have over 170 episodes of the podcast, which will help you to get through any of what we call the five D's of life, depression, divorce, disease, debt, and death. we got a free gift for you there as well. One of the things we just mentioned was divorce. Our author uh, guest today, Calab Kelly Calabrese, is the author of several books, including Success Habits of Super Achievers and Mom and Dadpreneurs. But she is also a person who has the, the uh, course called the Intentionally Fabulous Course, which is all about helping people, particularly women, to navigate the extremely painful uh, process of separation and divorce. On our podcast episode today with Kelly Calabrese, we're going to learn a few things. We're going to learn about the stages of separation and divorce and how to go from fearful to fearless and to set your soul on fire in the process. We're going to feel something as well. We're going to feel Kelly share the pain and the agony of her own divorce and all the things that went with it, anxiety and depression and the uh, situation with her own children uh, and how to navigate those to come out to a better, a better place. And when we come back from the interview, we're going to talk about what you can do about it. We're going to talk about some, some specific steps that Kelly outlines that you can apply to your life, particularly if you're going through a separation or divorce. We know that separation and divorce is one of the key adversities that people go through, and we're here to deal with it here on the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. She blogs at kellycalabrese.com. That's K-E-L-L-I-C-A-L-A-B-R-E-S-E.com. Our guest today on Beyond Adversity, Kelly Calabrese. Let's get into that conversation Right now, this our guest today is Reynolds Karras. He's a medical doctor with quite a fascinating story to tell about his background and about what has led him to his situation in life right now. Reynolds, welcome to welcome to our podcast interview. 
Thank you, sir. I appreciate you having me and I appreciate everybody listening. Thank you for your time so much. I just greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. Reynolds, tell me a little about your situation. What moved you from your, you had some pivotal points in your life where you had some challenges in your life and this led you eventually to become an EMT and then an MD. So give us the synopsis of your story. So I was basically born and raised in a poverty-stricken area in New York City by a single mother, and I was left without a father figure. So my father figure ended up being the negative ones, which was the neighborhood guys, my cousins who were in and out of the incarceration, and gangster rap and gangster movies. Eventually, I started to emulate them. And my past is very different from my present. I've been arrested. I've been shot at. But thankfully, God put his hands on me. I changed my life around, and now I went ahead and became a medical doctor. I hold a doctor degree in medicine. I run a successful business, and I've been able to reach over 4 million people worldwide. So my, the gist of my story, the whole reason why I'm here, is that throughout this trajectory in life, I've been able to acquire some wisdom. I've been able to acquire some information that... I feel it's my duty to pay it forward. So every chance I get, I pay forward the blessings that I've received because I've come to realize, and it used to happen to me, where I used to suffer in silence. Like I would just stay quiet for a suffer. I went from having like suicidal thoughts and addiction problems and really bad situations to now living an optimal existence. So whenever, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Avatar, but they got this thing where they say, I see you. Yes. Where So when I see someone suffering, I see through them, I guess you can say, because I was once in their shoes. So once again, my whole thing is now just paying forward what works or what has yeah. worked for me. And so a part of that paying forward process is you have your you have your background here and then you have a process to get people through. I'm running good into your process for in a second here. But give us just you said you had this situation where you had really difficult upbringing and early in your youth. Give us one example of what life was like. First of all, you, where are you based at? Tell us where you are located at and where you where were you brought up? I was brought up in Queens, New York City, to be exact. Okay. So give us just an example. You mentioned that you had rough upbringing here. Give us some example of what life might have been like or one episode or story from that part of your life. So there was a time where I eventually transitioned off the yellow school bus and I was given the liberty to walk home to school. And I remember vividly in the 90s, this was like in the, mid, in the midst or at the end of the crack epidemic here in New York City. I remember seeing like chalk signs and like sheets covering dead bodies from the night before. This was usually oh on a Monday. Yeah, this was usually on a Monday morning. And I would be walking to school and the violence the addiction, these type of things that was going on in the neighborhood were regular for me mm -hmm. to the point where I started partaking in it and I ended up in a gang and I ended up going down that path. So one of the things that sticks out to me the most was how we normalized devilish behavior, how we normalized doing negative things amongst each other. So once I got into school, that the same thing continued on. But one of the things that sticks out to me the most is when I used to go to school, not every single time I walked to school, but I remember there were a few occasions where you would see just like police activity, the street corner taped off by yellow tape. And it was like the fresh crime scene. 
So seeing a crime situation, and I take it you even saw, did I understand you to say you saw some bodies? Is that right? Did I, did I understand that you say that? Or, yeah, they were covered. Uh, they were covered in not. I didn't see their faces, but they were covered with the white sheet. Yeah, but you. But there were people there. There was somebody under the sheet. Oh my goodness! Wow. What? Yes. Yes. And sir. what you're describing is a shocking, profound thing for almost anybody. But you're saying that was kind of the norm. That was not unusual in your experience. It's, yeah, unfortunately. Mm. So the idea then, and was there something then that kind of flipped the switch for you or an experience where you said, okay, I've had enough of this. I've got to do something different. I've got to make a change myself. Was there an episode like that? Like I mentioned, I ended up in the gang, but I was always the good guy. Like, okay. I don't want to come off. I don't want to come off like I was the guy shooting at people or getting incarcerated because I was with the people that was doing the work. But if you ever... Like, if you were there and you look at me from a bird's eye view, you'd be like, oh, that's the good guy. Because what I used to do while they were doing things that weren't all that legal or weren't safe for the people they were doing it to, I used to always say, hey, guys, the cops are coming. The cops are coming. Let's go. Let's go. The cops were never coming. But it was my conscience was just trying to startle them because that's the only thing they would react to so they can stop doing what they were doing. But there was a point in my life where I was shot at. Okay. Someone tried to kill me. And I eventually found out who it was. I was on my high horse. Gang member, I was thinking to myself, what does this person think he is doing? How dare he? So I was starting to plan the payback. Mm. And we found out where he lived. And the payback was we were assembling a team. And then it hit me. I got this thought to myself, one that I always heard in junior high school. One that I always heard of my upbringing, if you continue down that path, you're going to end up dead or in jail. And no one said it to me at that time, but I heard it echo in my brain while I was planning this uh, revenge. And then it hit me like, yeah, I'm going to end up dead or in jail if I go ahead and follow this, follow the same path I'm on now. Yeah. And that's when my, that's the first step where my life, where my life made a different trajectory. And then I go on ahead and thought to myself, I need to keep myself busy because last time I wasn't busy, I used to do boxing. I used to get ready for the police academy league. And the first time I got arrested was because they closed the police academy league. And long story short, I ended up becoming a first responder. Yeah. I think you've made some really interesting observation there and an aha moment of your life. You had a choice between to basically take revenge or to go in a different trajectory is the term that you used. And that's why you're here talking to me today and sharing some good things to other people. And you ended up going to be paramedic and an MD, which we'll talk about here in a minute. I share with you one story out of my life that what your story reminds me so much of. I went to college at a small, small college in Indiana, but one of the, my roommate, my first roommate was a, was a young guy uh, from the urban area of St. Louis. And anyhow, long story short, he showed me a picture of all his high school buddies he hung around with. And he said, there was about six of them. And he said, pointed to him. He gave the name of the guy. This guy is Mike and he's in jail. This guy is Ted and he's dead. This guy is when he's strung out of drugs. This guy's in the Navy and I'm the only one in college. Everybody in his group of the six or eight people in his group, everybody was dead or in jail or strung out on drugs, except for one guy in the Navy and him who was in college. And he had a tough time in college given his, not because he went smart, but because he had such a 
background there. And just your story reminds me of that so much because he made it, but he had to work like crazy to get out of it. And he felt his life, and he had, he'd been shot. He and his life had been shot and stabbed. I know that because he had the scars on his body to prove that. But let's get back to your story here now. And my, my story, but my friend Reggie is a memorable one. Your story is a memorable one, too, because of the changes that you have made. And let's talk about some of the specific actions that you took then. You were shot at and you went on this track to become a paramedic. So what were some of the things that you did, both mentally and then, you know, kind of action, physical actions that you took to change your trajectory? What are some of the things that you did? So the first thing I started to realize was that my conscience was talking to me. My conscience, it was either, I call it a divine intervention. And it was just basically a guide. I was being guided towards what I should do. And the first thing I did was I listened to that guide. I was like, should I be a, I was like, I want to be a first responder. Should I be a police officer? No, at that time, they were not my best friends. Should I be a firefighter? I wasn't crazy about jumping into burning buildings, but I remember my grandmother was obese. And I remember the paramedics, every time we called them, they fixed her. Okay. I was like, so I'm going to be a, I'm going to be an EMT. I'm going to work as an EMT. So one of the things I did was that I immediately acted upon something that had a correlation with something I learned in the past. So what I'm trying to tell you is things, a lot of times our destiny is not a coincidence. You have hints. You should do this. You should do that. And I had numerous hints that I should go ahead and enter healthcare. So once I got the final hint, I guess you can say, I went ahead and followed that path. So my action was immediately, I went ahead and started working at, started practicing as an EMT when I was 17 years okay. old. It's, that was in 2003, Mr. Miller. That's been 20 years now. Right. <laughs> like, it's yeah. been 20 years since I went ahead and started to be a healthcare provider. You said you had this leading or this inner voice that was talking to you. Do you attribute that to any kind of a, one of the things that I think when people do change, sometimes they have a sense of a feeling of something greater than self. It might be a spiritual thing. It might be a religious thing, or it might be some sort of an inner voice. Do you think that was any part of your process, any kind of a, a sense of a connecting to some power greater than self? Yes, most definitely. I take zero credit for anything that I've accomplished because at the end of the day, like just the timeline I went from being shot at in 2001 to becoming an EMT in 2003, a paramedic in 2007, and a medical doctor in 2017. And every single step of the way, there's been tools that's been put in my path. Tools like books, like self-improvement books. I know a lot of people that listen to this podcast might remember Barnes & Noble. Sure. Barnes and Noble. One of my favorite places to go still. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to find one here in New York City, but, you know, the self-improvement section of that bookstore was like my oasis. And I started reading these books and I'm like, wait, I went from wanting to be arrested to realizing my potential. And then I started just, I started, wow, if this person could do it, I can do it. It was the books and mentors. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. Any particular books that you remember as being particularly influential on you in your Barnes and Nobles time or even now? Yeah. The very, very first book I ever picked up that had to do with self-improvement was titled Become Who You Were Born to Be by Bob Azauza. I'm not familiar with that one. Go ahead. 
Yeah, so this book, basically each chapter is a rags to riches story of some of the world's most influential people. Okay. And he would just go on and explain how that person went from rags to riches, how this person transformed their life. He goes over like the owner. He went over the owner of Starbucks, Sylvester Stallone, Oprah Winfrey, football players, like people that have reached the pinnacle of success. And I noticed that they all had some, they had a few things in common, but the ones that stuck out to me the most was they were human. <laughs> wow. Yeah. This human being was able to do this. I'm a human being, obviously. Yeah. And then secondly, they, as opposed to being well, superhuman, what I mean by that is sometimes we see somebody who's in a successful place in life. And if we're not, we sometimes think, okay, they you know born with a silver spoon in their mouth or something like that, or they had some unfair advantages. What you're sharing with me is most people overcome some adversity of some sort to achieve success. And then what you learned, I'm sorry yes, to interrupt sir. you. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Mentors. Did you have mentors during this process? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So I've had different mentors in different phases of my life. So my first, my very first mentors were like related to the things I was doing in the street. Okay. Then when I became an EMT, and when I started as an EMT, all I wanted was job security. Like where I'm from, if you have job security, like a city job and a big screen TV with health insurance, you made it. That's it. That's like the epitome of success. But so I just looked at it like a, like a job, but mm-hmm. I met someone that survived 9-11. Mm-hmm. Remember, I started in 2003. And then I met someone that like served the falling of the towers because I became an EMT kind of like almost immediately after. And I met someone who survived it and he so mentored just, me. I'm sorry to back up on it, but just timeline, about how old were you when 9-11 happened? I'm curious. I was 15 to 16 years old. So a very formative time for you. Okay, thank Go ahead. So you met some people who were EMTs or involved with the actual aftermath of 9-11. Yes, sir. And and I came to realize that first responders are very selfless men and women, and they're doing God's work. And it's an awesome job. and It's a commendable job. So I started taking the job more seriously. I went ahead and I rose through the ranks. And what did I do? I started teaching EMTs. I started my own CPR and first aid training business. Then I went ahead and I went further my education. I became a paramedic. After becoming a paramedic, I started going into hospitals and I started realizing once again, the same thing. If they can do it, I can do it. Like looking at the doctors. When I used to see like African doctors, Indian doctors, really thick accents. I'm like, wow, these people are, I'm impressed. They came from the country they came from, they learned English as a second language and they're still here helping people. So then that led me to another mentor who had a lot in common with me. And he also told me, like, hey, if I'm a doctor, you can be a doctor too. Wow. He, he took me under the wing as well. And I ended up entering medical school and the rest was history. <laughs> so he helped build you up. Did Before that, did you see becoming an MD as a realistic possibility for you? Or was that some sort of a out there dream that seemed a little out of reach for you? Give me a sense of your mental context at that time. My context, my mental context during that time was that it sounded like a good idea. And although I had the self-improvement knowledge starting to seep into my brain, I looked at it like something that was far-fetched. I didn't really see it as something that was obtainable because I was a high school dropout. And every doctor that I ever saw was like Asian. Yeah. They were like, they were not from the same background as me. 
So it made it harder for me to imagine it until I met someone that, that had a lot in common with me. And then oh, was you know, your, I was further along. Was your mentor you had who encouraged you, was he from a somewhat a similar background as you? Was that what I'm hearing? Yeah. He was, his name is Dr. Adolfo Alvino. Okay. He is now a pretty big deal in emergency medicine. And okay. he had a similar background to me, born and raised in New York City under the same circumstances. And he basically, he spoke my language. Yeah. He got through to me and he helped me very much. You could see yourself in a way in his success. You could at least see a pathway for something beyond self. That's yes, awesome. Sir. So I want to share with you a quick story. You mentioned about the the powerful impact the 9-11 had on the whole country, the whole world, particularly people there in New York City. And in 2015, the community I lived in, in, in a small city in Indiana, was hit by a terrible tornado that killed a whole bunch of people and wiped out a bunch of it, – it was bad, not nearly as bad as – it's been a different way. It was a natural disaster. But anyway, my, my point is, I was involved with a team rebuilding a church and some other houses, and a group of people came in from all group of people came in from all over the world. And there was a group of firefighters and EMTs from New York City who came to small town Indiana to help rebuild the church there. And I got to meet them and spend some time with them. <clears throat> they were there. They made that part of their mission. What they said was. People came all over the world to New York City at 9-11 to help them. And now every year they would spend their summers going around the country to help other disasters that were happening. And I was impressed by that and how that became an ongoing thing. It wasn't just a emergency cleanup of the moment. It became an ongoing product of their lives. And it's interesting how when we have drama and trauma, if we allow it to, it can transform us completely and totally for the long term. Sound like that's part of what has happened to you, Reynolds, that you've been transformed for the long term. It wasn't just a momentary thing for you. You're a changed man. Is that right? Yes, sir. I've seen the damage. Like some of the things that cause trauma to me is, for example, alcohol, addiction, a fatherless home. I know it all too well, all too well. Like alcohol literally has ruined the lives of some of the people that are closest to me. I'm a product of a fatherless home. So whenever that trauma is, the thing with me is I don't use the trauma as, in a, reason, as a reason to go cry in the corner and practice the victim mindset. I tap into emotional motivation. And it's something I highly recommend to anyone who's going through anything. That pain you're going through, that's as hard as it may sound, that's your gift. Right. That's your gift to keep pushing because the only men who are truly respected are the ones that go through something and come out stronger on the other side. Yeah. So if you're resonating with anything I'm saying, it's because you're like, wow, this guy has been through this. He's been through that. And I, you ha I haven't even mentioned the stuff I've seen on the ambulance. Like I, the 20 years of experience I have as a healthcare provider have not been in the safest neighborhoods. It's been in the busiest 911 system in the world, mm -hmm. the South Bronx. So, so what I'm trying to say is that trauma, if you leverage it, it could do a lot of good. Because I'm sure you've seen the other side too, at least I'm assuming here, but you tell me where the trauma can bring people down. It can bring, put people, it can mess you up and put you in a place of debilitation. Whereas you chose to use it, as you said, motivational leverage to help you get through that. So 
Let's talk about that for a second. What do you use this motivational leverage you have? How does it lead you? Kind of what is your process then? I'm interested in the process then that you then have learned in your life and then what you teach others. What is the disciplines? What are the habits? What are the things you do differently now than you did before when you were stuck in a you know dead-end lifestyle? What are some of the things that you do now differently or you teach others? So when we're stuck, we feel desperation. We feel claustrophobic. It's hard for us to breathe, quote unquote, right? Because we don't, we're looking for answers. We don't have any clarity. And in times of despair, what people look for is comfort. We look for pleasure. We try to feel good some way, somehow, being that we feel so bad. So a lot of times we lean towards things that break us down. We lean towards things that are not good for us. We need to, what I, the difference between then and now, because then when I felt down, when I felt depressed, when I felt the adverse effects of the trauma I lived and went through, I would go smoke a cigarette. Mm -hmm. I would go use pornography. I would go use pastries and tasty foods or have an adulterous relationship. That was my scapegoat. Anger was my scapegoat. Right. Now, my scapegoat now or what I use as a, a venting mechanisms is weightlifting. Mm. I use weightlifting. I use martial arts. I use selfless acts. I use drinking more water. I fast. I, I just stay very active and leave a very small window to no window to entertain any negative self-talk. Because as you guys may have heard, boredom is the devil's playground. What I'm hearing is at least three or four or five things that you do now that you may not have done differently. The things you mentioned before were all short-term kind of dopamine fixes, whether it be alcohol or overeating or the donuts or pornography, whatever. But those are short-term hits. And what you're talking about now is the things you do now is uh, you talked about reading and mentors, filling your mind with good stuff. You talk about mindset stuff. You talk about physical activity, weightlifting, your diet, fasting, and so on. Those are more long-term things or more lasting effect things that, that you do. And you, so do you feel, you sound like you've overall feel pretty, uh, you're at a good place. Would you say that's a fair thing to say Reynolds? You're at a good yeah, place now? Yes. Yes, sir. I feel that right now I'm living an optimal existence with optimal health. When I got, I was divorced. I overcame the addiction. I got remarried. I just had a baby three weeks, a month ago now, a brand wow. new baby girl. That's and great. I'm feeling on top of the world. Literally, I wake up and of course I have my, everyone has their stressors and their things trying to get to them. But now I'm equipped with the tools to fend them off. So what would help me, what would make someone else relapse or what used to make me relapse on things that break me down now is like an indication. My mentor used to say it all the time. He's like, Anxiety and depression is an indication for self-preservation. So if you're feeling down, maybe that's an indication that you should get up. Yeah. Because you got to think about it. If you're living, if you're living a sedentary life, or you're lethargic, it's very hard to feel energized because mm -hmm. you're not giving your body what it needs. And you got to get in motion. Let's talk about then. You know, you've chosen then also to not only do this for yourself. But you feel like you've got something to share with others, as I take it here. And so I run this podcast, among other reasons. What have you learned that you can share with others? And what kind of tools or processes do you offer to folks? So what are the things you, if someone was to come to you for some help, what are some ways that you can help them? 
the first thing I want to let them understand is that we're all the same. Like even in genetics class, we I went ahead and realized through the teacher and through the books that we're 99.9% identical. The only difference is that we're 0.01% different in genetic variability, which what makes us an individual. So my solution is your solution. You just need to extrapolate it to your current situation. And what I mean by that is if I eat in a calorie deficit and I watch what I eat, that will work for you as well. If moving my body and increasing oxygenation helps me, it will help you as well. For example, one of the pillars of disease is lack of oxygen. You need to have oxygen. So you advocate breathing exercises or deep breathing, these type of things? No, not that I advocate against them, but I advocate on people needing to understand that there's pillars to optimal health. So the mistake a lot of people make is that they lean on one thing, right? And what I mean by that is, let's say they only do deep breathing, they only do meditation, or they'll only go vegan. Like for a person to reach optimal health, you need to lift weights or do some kind of resistance training. You need to watch what you eat and eat in the calorie deficit because the person who's light on his feet will receive more information. They're enlightened. And then you need to have a stoic, can-do, positive mental attitude. When you combine those three things, and there's scientific reasons for everything I'm saying. Like I could break it down and go in deeper if you like. But once you have these three things working synergistically in tandem, then they'll go ahead and extrapolate into your spiritual and financial health as well. So you teach the integration of these various lifestyle aspects of physical health, mental health, spiritual, emotional relationship. You advocate that. So if, do you have any stories, Reynolds, of people who you've been able to be helpful to, some sort of a testimony of someone you've been able to share your lifestyle and your teaching with, how it's impacted them? Yeah, of course. So I have a YouTube channel for anyone who wants to dig deeper into it. There's a mentorship playlist in the YouTube channel where you'll see a few of the people I've worked with. They put it into their own words, how I helped them and why I helped them and all the things of the effects of the help. But one of the people that sticks out the most was when I first started working with people on this stuff, by the way, I've been mentoring people for over 20 years, but it has, it's been two years since I actually opened it up formally. And this young man, he had depression. He had, he was overweight. He was selling drugs. He was taking drugs. He was an alcoholic. He was lost. And he had no father figure. After just a few phone calls and daily check-ins and just little tweaks here and there, he's now in like single-digit body fat, which is something that's highly coveted. He's entering the sales job. He's making more money. He looks more handsome. He's sober. He doesn't, he doesn't consume anything, and he doesn't have to deal with any of the things that he was dealing with before. So his... And one of the people, one of the people that sticks out to me the most is him because you, even the picture, you see it, like he's all docile and overweight. And then the second picture, he just look at me, <laughs> look at yeah. what I accomplished. The transformation so, is evident, both his physique and how he carries himself and so on. And, That's and correct. There's something we need to really hone in on, which is the mind body connection. This is not so much about aesthetics. We, the mind body connection, once you have them work together, 
this is when you really see what living is when you're like feeling energized and feeling confident and etc yeah that's awesome how can folks be, learn more about you reynolds if they want to see your youtube channel and so on or uh, how can people find out more about you if they want to be influenced by what you are about Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Sure. Some Something as simple as a Google search, you can type in Reynolds Kairos and you'll see that I'm on Instagram, I'm on YouTube. I'm basically leveraging the strongest tool known to mankind right now, which is the internet. Mm -hmm. And my handle, NYC Streets MD. So New York City, that's where I'm from. Streets, that's where I was. That's where I still am because I'm still a first responder. And MD because I'm a medical doctor. Oh. New York City Streets MD. And we'll put connections to that on our website and our show notes at uh, drbradmiller.com. Fascinating story. I love your story, Reynolds, because it gives us, it, we haven't even talked about this too much, but it gives a sense of hope. But so many people get stuck in what they sense as hopelessness or meaninglessness, and they're searching for meaningfulness, and they need to have some hope. And your story gives some hope and a sense of progress it did hey you did it others can do it too that, that's most definitely that's, that's an awesome story thank you for being with us and we'll offer opportunities for people to get connected to you at our website drbradmiller.com our guest today on beyond adversity dr reynolds Kairos. fascinating conversation we were able to have today with dr reynolds Kairos, medical doctor and first responder and his process of moving from being in gangs and being in a pathway that was leading to destruction, the pivotal moment when he was shot at and changing his life around to serve others. He shares his journey here today about, you know, a life of poverty and crime and violence to now being a successful career person who has some things to teach you. We'll put connections to his website and everything he's about at our website, drbradmiller.com. A few a few key takeaways from our episode are this, is that destiny is, destiny is not a coincidence. And uh, Reynolds uh, credits his grandmother's positive experiences with paramedics with it being inspiration for him to become an EMT at age 17, and then that led him on the pathway to become a medical doctor. Secondary, second takeaway point is that trauma can transform. He highlights, Reynolds highlights the impact of the 9-11 tragedy had on all first responders and that whole world around New York City who came together after the attacks and how it continued to influence even him and other natural other disasters that happened. And through these experiences and through his personal experiences, he became more selfless and committed to the work of serving others. The third takeaway has to do with optimal health. He talks about the three pillars of optimal health, weightlifting or resistance training, watching what you eat and positive mental attitude. And he emphasized the importance of these three pillars to work synergistically and have a scientific reason for their effectiveness. And his approach then uh, allows physical health to be a real uh, grounding point for spiritual and financial health. And overall, we just had a great conversation about the power of overcoming adversity and making positive changes in one's life. And that's a good thing. So that's what we're all about here on Beyond Adversity. Stories like 
like uh, uh, Dr. Reynolds Kairos. We'll put connections to him in our show notes at Dr. Brad Miller. And that is the exact same place you can find over 276 now episodes of the podcast, which are devoted to help you because we love you. We want to help you to overcome and to deal with the five D's of adversity, depression, divorce, disease, debt, and death. If you go to drbradmiller.com, we have uh, episodes about all these topics, and you can find help from me and my doctoral degree that I have in transformational leadership. The teachings that I do are there as well, and you can find out more about me and my coaching and courses at drbradmiller.com. It's always a pleasure and a privilege to serve you, our audience here at Beyond Adversity. Here to serve, my name is Dr. Brad Miller. Until next time, good people, always remember to do all the good that you can. Thank you for listening to the Beyond Adversity podcast with Dr. Brad Miller. You can find a complete archive of all episodes at drbradmiller.com. That's drbradmiller.com. Or subscribe for free through Apple Podcasts and never miss an episode. Each week, we bring you a message to crush adversity and live your life of peace, prosperity, and purpose.